Hello everybody and welcome to another comedian's interview for my blog and podcast A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 1,000 stand-up comedians and counting over the last 46 years. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, the wonderful comedian, Mr. Nathan Cassidy. Yes! Hello, mate! Yes! <laughs> How are you? You're you right. as effusive with your applause as you were when you come to live comedy. You're brilliant, Richard. You know, everyone can learn kind. from you in terms of your. Yeah! <laughs> I see some interviews and it's just like. I interview some people and I know them well and they start very, very downbeat, very morose. I'm like, oh, oh dear. But of course, all comedians are depressed, but at least we're going to start like, yeah! <laughs> Well, we're I not depressed, Richard. We're not. <laughs> you're, you're very kind, and I hope the next 45 minutes or so is going to be very enthused. <laughs> <laughs> I will do my best. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for doing this uh, doing this interview. Um, as, as I say, it's going to be about 45 minutes, and I'd yeah. like to ask you, firstly, how did you become a comedian in the first place, please? Well, well, there's a question. There's a question. Well, um, yes, I could answer that in a standard way in that, you know, I did it at school, did it at, yeah, did stuff at university. And um, I was at university actually with Marcus Brigstock. And so he was in a little gang called Club Seals with Danny Robbins and Dan Tetzel. So they did stand up with a few other people. I wasn't in their gang, so I wasn't in the kind of drama. I wasn't in their gang, basically. Um, so I was kind of doing theatre and making making excuses for not being a stand-up, although I knew inside I wanted to be a stand-up. I just didn't take that leap. Yeah. And I think even if stand-up is deeply inside of you, which it is with me, I think it still takes a bit of a leap. You need to sometimes be shoved over the edge. So I didn't do, do it at university, but as soon as I got to London, I um, I knew I wanted to be in London because I knew I just wanted to be do stand-up. So I started I started then. So that, that's, I guess, the standard answer. But having done psychology and having talked to many comedians about the psychology of comedy, I can't not, you know, address my own psychology as a comedian, I guess. And, um, you know, I've talked on psychology and, you know, in various um, of my own podcasts I've touched upon what I think makes me a comedian. I think it's, I don't know, it's, it, 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 it's, it's inside you, number one. It's genetics, but it's also, I think, certain things of my upbringing. Um, one or two that I um, talk about in my latest show, Bumblebee. Yeah. Um, I, got, I got love from my, I got love from my family. Um, but I didn't ever hear the words "I love you," so it wasn't ob- an, an ob- it wasn't an obvious thing. I never heard the heard the words "I love you." Don't feel sorry for me, Richard. <laughs> I'm very happy, and they're a nice. They're a, notice how I said a nice family. That's uh, that, that's damning with faint praise, isn't it? They're a nice family. No, they're a loving family, some of them. But um, I never heard the words "I love you." However, when I made people laugh from as early as I can remember, I can't remember anything much before I was. 10 or 11 which suggests (laughs) I don't know what that suggests but the one or two memories I have in terms of the earliest memories making my family laugh was love for me so the earliest memory I have is um, 
Um, I think I was singing a song based on the lyrics of the the song Fame. So I was singing, I want to live forever. And I changed the lyrics to, I want to live till I die. Hilarious. However, I was only six, bear with me. And my mom looked at me with, she laughed and looked me in the eye. And I thought, that's, that's love. You yeah. Know? So all those little things from, I'm told stories of how, after that, I would be at weddings. I'd be six, seven years old. And this may sound like I was an annoying little prick. I promise you I wasn't. Maybe I was. <laughs> but I would take people aside to a different room in the wedding and I would entertain them with whatever yeah. <laughs> is in, the, yeah, was in yeah. the room. And people say to me now, you weren't annoying. You were generally, you know, you were genuinely, generally and genuinely um, entertaining. So I guess I was doing that to, um, you know, for love and yeah, yeah. Uh, why why else do we do this now than exactly. to um, equate is, the applause it, with love it is it is amazing how comedy affects everybody I mean um, I've, I've recently been talking to the noise next door and mm. uh, I said to them that um, when I saw them in Carlisle I, I, I Carlisle's my home city and, I, and I, uh, I went to see them there I was in a really low place I just lost my mum and uh, oh, God, um, I thank you. And I went to see them, and I sat in the back, which was very rare for me, with a pint of beer in my hand. And and somebody else in the audience knew I was there, and so they they when they yelled out the suggestions, this person mentioned my name, and they went, "Oh my God, is Rich in the audience?" And they included me in a song about Carlisle, which cheered oh, me wow. up no end for that particular night. And it's amazing how it does affect you, all these memories and everything. And I suppose that's why I write the blog. But it's a wonderful yeah. answer that you've given there. It's 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 fascinating. Um, well, you'd be a fascinating person on Psychomedy. So if and when we do season three, I think we should get you on because watching be so much comedy and not doing the comedy, that's a, that, that, that's a fascinating angle. So, yeah. That would be you excellent. Got a booking. I'd be honoured, my friend. It may not that be a paid be booking, but it's a booking. <laughs> that's excellent, my friend. Thank you very much. Um, so you become a comedian. What was your first gig like? Can you remember your first gig? I can, absolutely. I think everyone remembers their first gig. Um, I So I came to London, I booked in straight away, not knowing what the gigs were and not having been to these places. And so I booked in, would you believe, um, uh, at the Bedford Banana Cabaret. Well, what certainly a, in the venue where, where Banana venue. Cabaret is. So what a place for a first gig. Now, yeah. I said I wasn't an annoying prick, but I'm going to sound like an annoying prick in my first gig because... I, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a hard thing to admit, but people that saw me do comedy in 2000, so I did comedy for the first time in two, 99, so it was uh, 99, 2000, yeah. and then subsequently I dropped out for nine, for nine years, maybe more of that later, but yes, 99, I was passing the Oswald, Oswald Boateng shop um, in, um, in town, and there were these uh, suits. There was these purple suit and a, a bright purple suit and a bright orange suit. And Boateng suits are like a thousand, two thousand pounds. But they were selling them off. And I, quite, I thought, why are they selling them off so cheaply? They're only a hundred pounds. They were selling them off so cheaply because they were hideous, garishly <laughs> coloured suits that nobody wanted. However, I thought that's comedy, isn't it? That's comedy. 
I'm going to get one of these suits. And I hadn't actually written much material. I was just concentrating on the material I could buy from Oswald Boateng. Um, so I bought the suit. So I thought I looked the part. I haven't written much material. I don't really know who I'm supposed to be as a comedian. But I had the idea that maybe I'll be... Not that I ever watched much of Lee Evans, but I thought I'll be a bit Lee Evansy. I'll be a bit all over the place. I'll be a bit improvised, like Lee Evans isn't, obviously. <laughs> but I had this idea in my head that just like, oh, I'll just get on and be entertaining. I've done theatre. I can do stand-up. Um, so I turned up at this gig um, at the Bedford, obviously, a huge venue too. I think that was back in the day where there was just, you know, audience up there, yeah. audience down here. There was a lot of audience in. And I, the guy saw me, um, the guy who was running the gig, um, won't mention his name. And um, he said, hey, man, I don't know who you are, but you clearly look, <laughs> look like you know what you're doing. Because <laughs> I had this suit on. And clearly someone wearing a garishly coloured suit, they've got to be not shit, right? They can't be, they can't just be winging it, surely. So he said, yes, you look like you know what you're doing, so I'm going to put you on to clothes. <laughs> so clothes either the first half or the second half. Wow. So there I go, my first gig. And wow. I don't know what the hell I was talking about. I think it was something about Purple Ronnie was half my material. I thought I'd bat um, back and forth with the, with the audience, which didn't work. I got zero laughs. However, I did get one laugh when I said about three minutes into the five minutes, this is going well, isn't it? <laughs> and I got a huge laugh and I thought, oh, that's it. I don't have to overthink this. You know, I've been overthinking it too much. I've got a suit. I've thought about this weird kind of material. Just relax. Yeah. Just connect with the audience. Yeah, um, exactly, just yeah. say when things aren't going well. And, um, and in that moment, I thought, oh, from thinking I couldn't do this for the first three minutes, now I can do this. And, um, and that's all I needed, at that least for is, a couple of years, until I dropped out for nine years. But yeah. That, that is incredible that you play such a prestigious venue for your right. first gig. Because, know, right? because normally um, comedians who are starting out, some of them would do um, five minute. Uh, routines in pubs but if you're closing as well that is extraordinary because um, you know it is all about experience good or bad to, I, I always say to them to, to the comedians I've talked to it is all about experience good or bad even if you have bad nights um, you know it is all experience and you can and you can gain from it and 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 you become a better comedian from that. Did you go through the pub circuit? Did you do lots of five and ten minutes to gain the experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. After that, yeah. I learned, oh, yeah, not every gig is going to be Banana Cabaret. Um, so my second gig, yeah, was in, was in a tiny place, and I thought, I wish I'd started here yeah, yeah. in front of ten yeah. people yeah. rather than probably over a hundred yeah. people. But it, absolutely. I mean, I work with a few newer you. comedians yeah. from time to time, and I always say to them, there's no rush, you know. <coughs> Comedians are always in a rush to get um, to get there, and unfortunately, you can't rush these things. I don't know of anyone that's been able to rush, you know, storming yeah. it from the first gig. It takes time, you know. Sure, sure. Um, to date, what has been your best and worst gig? I can't, I can't ever imagine you having a bad gig because you're so enthusiastic and confident on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you, yeah, you, you saw me, uh, you, you saw me emceeing, didn't, did. didn't you, a couple of weeks ago? And of yeah. course, I'm enthusiastic when I'm emceeing. Maybe when I'm doing my 
shows. I'm not quite so quite so big. Um, but um, yes, not many. No, I don't really have a death story. I wish I had one. So many people have brilliant, brilliant death stories. However, you know, there, there are of course, you know, um, bad gigs, and you know, maybe all. I guess sometimes, interestingly, good gigs that can become bad gigs um, with kind of who's in the audience and who will say something afterwards. So that's the most in- interesting thing, I think. So I did. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's amazing gigs, you know, playing to a full comedy store or whatever. They're, they're always like the gigs, you know, gigs you remember. And, you know, yeah. the, those club gigs are amazing. However, I do look back at the shows. I, I do more than the gigs, I think, for, for, the, for the real kind of deep experiences that I get with an audience that I think, oh, I'm really, really uh, have achieved something there. And I've, you know, touched people on a different level. So. Yeah. Um, there was a there was a show I did in 2016 called 42 where I had 42 different subjects on cards and I asked the audience to pick 10 of the 42 subjects and I would do a different show every night based on those 10 things wow. from the 42 so all I'd learned all I'd done is the learn the 42 bits or knew what I was vaguely talking about with the 42 bits and all I had to do they were all about the meaning of life it was called 42 it was about the meaning of life and so all I had to do was connect the connect the dots so that was you know back in the day I hated repeating shows I yeah. got bored of shows very easily by the time I got to Edinburgh I was bored of the shows already maybe I was doing too many previews so I thought I need to do a show where it's different every night and not completely improvised but yeah semi-improvised around this um... so yeah did the show and I had I won't mention his name but a very um, you know uh, one of the biggest comedy critics there and I did this show <laughs> and the <laughs> and the you know what's coming don't you so um, so yeah I mean it had gone really well the run it's like oh this is a great show I'm enjoying this the audience are enjoying it and they're seeing that it's a little bit a little bit clever you know it's a little bit more than a normal show and I ended the show by walking the audience out of the venue I said what's the meaning of life well I'm going to show you I walked the audience out of the venue down the road <laughs> down um, Cowgate yeah. to the club at the end of Cowgate so we walked through a busy courtyard the <laughs> audience is audience but the, the, the courtyard parted it was biblical Richard. It was biblical. we walked down we got to a club and I said this is the meaning of life basically without explaining it I was like this is the meaning of life just all being together you know having fun yeah. in a club that was kind of the point of the show anyway after the and I played to one of the biggest comedy critics and I thought well here we go my first five stars from this from this major comedy critic it can't be anything else it literally can't be anything else and then the next day of course the, uh, the critic came out uh, three stars um, obviously could have been worse but obviously totally unusable and what it said was Nathan Cassidy known for his tricks must have been uh, tricking us into because I, I got the audience to choose from wow. the 42 cards and he was like this, he must have been cheating it and of course there's no there's no root of appeal no. with a with a, um, with a I think I may for the first and only time dropped him a note going dude I didn't call him dude <laughs> <laughs> Bastard, whatever I called him. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't, che- wasn't cheating it. I just no, because no, the review was like was all about the maths, about how if uh, it was impossible for me for me to do that based yeah, on yeah, math, yeah, and, math. Yeah. and he was like, it, it wasn't possible. I was like, it is possible. I've just learned forty two bits because yeah. I'm stupid, and I've only learned you know I'm only going to perform ten of them. So yes, the best gigs can turn into 
it you know it just like it makes you so flat you just think i've just performed one of the shows of my life ever yeah. and i've really connected and i've achieved something that it's just like the only thing people will remember is that review really which said uh, he well, was what, cheating what i so, yeah what i love about your comedy and just talk just listening to you now is your enthusiasm for making tr making people laugh when you go out on a stage you you are determined to make them laugh through all your enthusiasm <laughs> and your positiveness and it's similar yeah. to my blog i mean i i couldn't believe the success of my blog but i i i, I was just very very positive i had a great yeah. big spreadsheet of all the comedians that i of, of every gig i'd listed and I had to go on a writing course to, to, to do the blog, a half-day writing course, and everybody around me was reviewers. And the woman who ran the course said, oh, we've forgotten about you. I said, well, you invited me, and I can tell you I'm not a reviewer, I'm not a critique, I'm not a reporter. I'm a member of the audience out to have a good time. And that's exactly what my blog comes across as, an enthused yeah. because it's so positive. Um, yeah, just yeah. listening to you now, you're like a a, a a visual and audio version of the blog. You know, it's just it's so full of life. It's 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 wonderful. Um, how do you remember all your jokes and routines? Do you have a system of remembering them? Well. At university, I had a very good memory, so I got a first in my degree, which annoyed my friends at the time because I put in far less work. So I was just going, I was just, yeah. I mean, it, it really wasn't hard work. I, I had a bit of a photographic memory for um, for essays, so right. I could. I remember in my exams, in A levels, and in my degree, yeah. I would just word for word know what I was saying. So yeah, when I started my comedy career many years ago, um, I think that memory was there. So. But then I got very um, overconfident, Richard. You can get overconfident right. with your memory. So in, when was it? 2015, I was playing to probably only about whatever, you know, it was like a fringe gig. It was like 100 people. Yeah. It was 20 minutes into this show. And I, I was, um, I hate to say it, Richard, storming it. I hate to say it. <laughs> storming it, Richard. Um, storming it. Couldn't have, couldn't have been better. And then... <laughs> I literally, what's next? I have no idea. I've done this show like 10, 15 times. Yeah. What's next? I have no idea. And usually in gigs, obviously, or, or in shows, it's just like, well, I can't remember what's next, but I'll keep talking and it will come back to me. It's not a problem. I just went, I can't think of what's next. I can't think of anything to say. So I joked about it with the audience. Well, like, oh, I've genuinely forgotten. Ha, 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 the last came back. Oh, no, no, I really have forgotten. Ha, 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 And it's like, no, guys, I really have forgotten. And I've got to just stand here and think silently. And suddenly <laughs> the audience went, well, this isn't very good. I've totally <laughs> forgotten that you were literally storming it, Nathan, eight seconds ago, because you're now clearly rubbish. Wow. And I just stood there, and it was probably only, but it was it was over a minute. And can you imagine a minute of silence from a comedian? That's Just awful. like, because it was a show that had a story. It was like, well, I can't just now start talking about how... You know, Amazon is is bad. There's <laughs> like something nothing to do with the story. I'm like, I can't think of what's next. So ever since then, even though I've got a fairly good memory, I will have. Although it's getting worse now, I'll have a bit of paper always in kind of new material gigs. Um, I'll have 
in shows I've done a million times, I'll have the bullet points in my back yeah, pocket. Yeah. So I've never needed them. Yeah. But there's the comfort right there in my back pocket. Yeah. It's weird because um, other than the blog, the most creative thing I've done is um, I wrote a play uh, which we put on for comic relief, myself and my mate, and, and a, oh, nice. a woman directed it. It was was originally going to be for Edinburgh. It's just a half-hour play. It's basically about me who comes down to London and can't get a job. I've got a very successful girlfriend who 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 is in a very good job, but I've never had an interview in my life. So each um, scene is me um, going for a job interview, and the first part of it is me running out to and terrified in the waiting room and starting talking to the audience and building a monologue. And of course, the first the first night I ran out, uh, I forgot the words. <laughs> Don't ever write monologues because it's like, and I'm thinking, the the difference between the and I'd written the thing, but 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 the difference between uh, the written word on the page and winging it as a comedian, there is a difference there because the audience shouldn't know that the comedian is winging it because as you say you slow down you can admit to them and then yeah. as long as they're on your side i'm guessing you can say what you like yeah do you agree yeah, with that? yeah yeah oh no absolutely in any other scenario in any gig there's just no way you would have a moment like that yeah. you'd be like oh what's come next oh it doesn't matter we'll move on <laughs> to the next bit or but this was just like I've never experienced anything no, like that it's like I can't think of a single word that I can tell you <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but yes you learn from you your learn. failures you learn it's all experience my friend indeed let's move on I've got I've got quite a long question here but it involves all your awards so let me oh, read amazing. all this oh, out please, this, please this is great please okay. fill your boots <laughs> so in 2007 you won the Sir Michael Caine Award for New Writing in Theatre and have been yes. nominated, congratulations, and have been nominated <laughs> and won numerous comedy awards during your career, including the Malcolm Hardy Award in 2012. Fantastic. Yes. The, and the, the winner and five times nominee for Best Solo Show at the Buxton Fringe and Beautiful winner of the, of the best show at the Leicester Comedy Festival in 2020. Congratulations. Thank you. Although just nominated for Leicester, but it should have been a win. And you're Was right, Richard, to demand a recount. <laughs> well, there we are. But all these, all, these, um, all, all these nominations are fantastic. What is your view of comedy competitions? Do you think they're a good thing? Um... Well, I mean, there's comedy competitions, and then, I mean, I guess awards are a kind of competition, although I don't really, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe they are, I don't view them as such, really, right. because I guess you get many nominees, you get five winners. I think if you're nominated, as you said, Richard, uh, you've basically won. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I didn't do many competitions. Yeah, when I started in 1999, 2000, I did, maybe I did the BBC and I did maybe one other. And I learned very early on that, um, again, mentioning no names, it would be like someone would do very badly in a competition and they would get through. And I'd be like, because I was very new, I was like, what's happening here? And you learn, obviously, that, you know, it, it's not all about that gig, even in a competition. So if I'm working with a new act, I'm like, don't worry if you don't get through. Don't worry. Yeah. You can have a great gig and not get through. You could get have a terrible gig, as I saw back in the day, and get through because it's based on more than that. It's based on 
whether the industry, if there it is industry that are judging you, recognise you as a good comedian. So. Yeah. The comedian has subsequently gone on to be a very famous comedian. He absolutely died on his ass, but then he got through in the competition. And at the time, I was like, well, competitions are corrupt. Well, they're not corrupt. It's it's more, it's, it doesn't really matter. It's, um, you know, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say to new comics, don't, don't, put, don't put too much on competitions, yeah. you know. Um, however, do put too much on many award nominations, <laughs> as you say, Richard, because that is the benchmark of success. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah. there are... There are many examples of people that haven't won the Edinburgh Comedy Award. There are many examples of people that haven't been nominated for stuff or indeed haven't got the career that maybe all the other comics think they deserve. Yeah. And there's been a bit in the industry recently about, you know, people moaning about certain people getting opportunities and um, things not being totally fair. I think comedy is more fair than a lot of things, but of course it's not totally fair. <laughs> It's life. Life isn't fair. <laughs> exactly. You can die on your ass and you'll get through because your mate is on the judging panel. Yeah. That's not corruption. That's life. It's everything. <laughs> you could be working in a bank, the government. You could be working down the supermarket and you'd be promoted <laughs> because the boss is your mate. Stop moaning about it and just try and get some enjoyment out of it. Exactly. Exactly. That, that, that is a perfect answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, let's move on to Edinburgh. I, I've been very fortunate enough uh, to go to the Edinburgh Fringe every year since 2005 and it's basically my holiday I go up there for a week and I see about 50 shows so by the time I come mm. back I'm absolutely shattered um, <laughs> but can you tell me what was your first Edinburgh Fringe like what year did you go up what experience did you have so yeah as I said earlier I did theatre at university so I did yeah. the first Edinburgh I went to was in 19. Where I did a couple of plays, um, which were interesting plays looking back, but I know this is about stand up really, but uh, what, there weren't comedy plays. 97, I wrote a musical, so I took that up and was in that called DIY the Musical. Yeah. Um, so that was the same year as the Full Monty, so we got a double page spread in the. In the Sun, um, uh, related to the full month. 2001. Um, 2001, yes. So I started in 99, 2000 in London, and then took a two-hander in 2001. And I guess this was illustrative of what my career was going to become. Right. Um, I didn't want to start with something standard. I did this show with this other guy, and I said to him, let's, let's do something a bit different. Let's pretend we're... <laughs> This is ridiculous. Let's <laughs> pretend we're on a we've we've been on a worldwide search for UK based comedians, little and large, who were famous <laughs> in the seventies and eighties. I'm sure everyone on your blog knows who little and large are, but if they're twenty or under or thirty or under, maybe they won't. But they were huge stars, uh, but maybe not so much in two thousand. They were very famous in the in the eighties or whatever. So I said to him, let's pretend we've been on a worldwide search for little and large. So you do your twenty minutes, then let's do some video of you looking for little and large and then I'll do my 20 minutes and then it'll be more videos of us looking for little and large which led us to find little and large in Skegness there's a video of us finding little and large backstage plainly ridiculous what was I doing the reviews were like what the fuck is this guy doing why doesn't he just do comedy why is he looking for little and large this is ridiculous um, and I at the time was thinking you're wrong reviewers but the reviewers were right it was plainly ridiculous and when we found little and large large comes backstage wow. and he's very grumpy because he's just come off the show it's like who the 
fuck are you sticking a camera in my face little was just on his way <laughs> and genuinely the camera runs out of battery no oh, and so no. <laughs> just before we get little in the shot the camera runs out of battery we've spent a year doing this it's ridiculous and ever since wow. then ever since buying those purple and orange suits I'm like, I used to carry a keyboard around me in gigs, and the joke was I couldn't play it. What was I doing? When I started comedy again, I thought, who are my favourite comedians? Strip away all of that nonsense. It's just yeah. a comedy is a man or a woman with a microphone, yeah. you know? But what um, a great idea, me, little and large. Was yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, Ridiculous. That's great, great memories. I'm still friends with that comedian. I see him all the time. He's full of joy. <laughs> And he just went with this idea. Other comedians would have said, what are you talking about, Nathan? Stop it. Um, but, uh, yes, he went with it. Great memories, that if is, not a great show. That is oh, wonderful. yeah, we ended up... I think it started at £8, but I think right. it then, by the end of the Fringe, it was £2. Right. And I think one of the reviewers did mention that. They said... <laughs> this was back in the day where I don't think there were free shows, where I think we were just... I think we were we 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 were the pioneer of the free fringe that year. It was like no one's coming for eight pounds. No, <laughs> can't be come for two pounds. Yeah. Um, during the pandemic year in 2020, your show Observational was famously the only live show at the 2020 Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. How did this come about? Um. I mean, again, it's like people sometimes look at me as kind of the the gimmick guy and like, you know, looking for, obviously, the looking for little and large all the time. But I'm really not. All I am, you say I'm enthusiastic. You know, sometimes I'm not as enthusiastic on stage. But what I am enthusiastic about is doing stand-up comedy. That's all I want to do. That's all I want to do in the industry. If I could just do stand-up comedy and nothing else, don't tell my agent this, but this is all I'd want to do. Um, so I just saw an opportunity. And yeah. as Kate Copstick and others have pointed out, it's surprising that other people, particularly in Scotland, didn't see the opportunity that was there. Because it was pretty obvious to me that Nicola Sturgeon was about to announce. It was the last week of the Fringe yeah. that uh, we could do a live gig in a courtyard. So I just contacted Alex Petty from the Free Festival. He's always been very supportive and I've always done my shows with him. Um, and we contacted the owner, the manager of the Free um, the Free Sisters, the Three Sisters on yeah. Cowgate. Yeah. And uh, we saw that opportunity. And I was on holiday with my kids in the Lake District. So it was only an hour from me. So yeah. I just said, I'm yeah. going to pop up for an hour. I went up on the train, did the gig. The World's Comedy Press was there. The Times was wow. there that I could never get in because I don't use PR. Um, <laughs> Jortle was there. Kate Copstick was there from The Scotsman. Jay Richardson. They were all there. Of course yeah. they were there because yeah, yeah. they had nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, yes, lucky really I don't get nervous because it would have been a kind of nerve-wracking situation potentially, but I knew it was a good show. It had been kind of, um, yeah, it had been already nominated in Leicester and yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd done it, you know, um, and it's lovely to get on stage like that and thinking, I'm making a bit of history here and also with a good show that I can just totally relax and I know people will enjoy it. And it was an amazing experience it was I, I, I went back I went back to the Lake District my mum was with my kids and I just was like I've just had five hours of kind of yeah just fantastic um, what an amazing experience it, it was, was, uh, it, was, it, was it was so incredible. missed last year I mean I mean I didn't yeah. go up and, and you could see just how magical the experience is to go I mean it must be yeah. amazing to perform there but um, 
Yeah, well, yeah, the appreciation for that made. gig, you know, people yeah. came up to me afterwards, and I've done one or two other things like that, so I did the, did the same in the Buxton Fringe yeah, where I was yeah, the first yeah. performer um, there, and just the levels of appreciation, because it's just a bit of normality yeah, in yeah. people, and... Um, whether off the back of that, I've sold a lot, a lot of tickets for this Edinburgh more than usual. So I think the love uh, is continuing, at least for one Edinburgh. Fantastic. <laughs> um, you've written and performed a solo Edinburgh show every year since 2010. Congratulations mm. again. <laughs> Describe your writing process and where do you get your ideas from for the shows? Um, so, yeah, I... I I, I work with some newer comedians and some more established comedians on their shows sometimes, so I'll probably give them two two bits of advice, I guess, for writing shows. Is I think the main thing is have an have an idea um, that you can hang the show off. So what's the what's the main idea? Even if it's a small thing, it can be a very small thing or a big thing. What's the idea? So last year I got burgled. And although it was a painful experience, even during the burglary, as I was chasing this guy down the street, I won't ruin the show for you because I know you, 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 you'll be coming to see it maybe. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, as a comedian, I thought, well, this is my show for this year. You know, it's that dramatic. It has to, whatever happens here, this is my show for this year. And it is. So it helps you if you have that. Not that the whole show is about my burglary, but I can hang things off yeah. that. So seeing the burglar, chasing the burglar, crime, true crime, you know, just, um, you know, um, and bits of the pandemic. Why are you burgling somebody in a pandemic? You know, I didn't think that was still possible. Um, so all of these things, you can talk about the pandemic, but from it so then it becomes like a bit of a jigsaw and that's what observation was very much like yeah. i had this idea which was the ending of the show and i thought that's a good idea and then it becomes more of a jigsaw and it's easier to write um and so once you've got that idea i just think it's all about setting the bar for yourself so i'll say to any comedian who's your favorite comedian and when you're writing a show it's not always possible but could you imagine that comedian saying those words not that it's necessarily in that style but is it good enough is it good enough for your favorite comedian to say those words and if it's not maybe scratch it out and aim higher keep aiming higher and that's set that magic. bar as high as possible for yourself yeah that's brilliant that that's yeah. a great way of 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 bettering yourself as a comedian by judging yeah. it by thinking of your favorite comedian saying it that's that's wonderful um, yeah you don't always achieve it but um, no. i think you know you can go into a show then thinking well i've done my best here i can imagine my favorite comedian saying this you know yeah 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 you said you said before that you rarely get nervous do yeah. you do you ever get nervous before a gig and if so how do you cope with your nerves I never get nervous before gigs, no. I mean, maybe I did back in the day, but my memory fades as the nerves. Yeah, maybe I got nervous before that banana cabaret gig, suddenly thinking, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? Um, I've, yeah, if I feel like I'm winging it, that's when I'd be nervous. But right. of course, you know, I've been doing comedy now for 72 years. So it's like, I'm no longer winging it. You're nervous in situations where you're not ready. You know, if you're prepared, then... There's really, I mean, other people deal differently with nerves, but, and as well, kind of, I've got, you know, I've got kids, I've got, you know, I've got other things going on on in my life, yeah. and 
it's a big deal my career but it's my if my kids are healthy then really it of doesn't course. matter it yeah, doesn't matter yeah. so i yeah. i get nervous for my kids or i yeah. get nervous if my kids are going into hospital or whatever sure, yeah, comedy yeah, yeah. it's like it's enjoyable yeah. i get down when i don't do it so yeah the feeling of going to gigs, the feeling just before I go to a gig, even if it looks like it's going to be a horrendous gig, I just think, thank goodness I'm doing this, yeah, you know, yeah. um, rather than my old job, you know, working in the bank or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, you have had a very long uh, comedy career, which is wonderful. Um, today, what's been your comedy highlight? Um, I guess you only look back at the last year or two. It all seems to be... You know, it's hopefully the best show you've ever done. Yeah. You know, there's been probably one or two exceptions along those 10, 10 shows or whatever. But certainly the last two years has been a kind of wonderful, a wonderful journey. You know, it's fr from, a, from a fairly low point, you know, personally, um, you know, um, one or two things happened that I won't go into detail with. No. I'm going to keep it enthusiastic with yeah. you. <laughs> but... Um, you know, one or two people did do some do some horrible things um, to me, and it, I was a very low point personally. Right. And um, but it so what? Yeah, it's interesting actually because what I did was a couple of years ago I did a show um, kind of based on that. I wanted to address those experiences because that's of course what a comedian would naturally do. Yeah. But I did it at the Leicester Comedy Festival, I think in two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, it's 2019. And I got off stage, having done it for the first time, and I said to my producer or my technician, I said, I'm never doing that show again. He said, why? You stormed it, Nathan. <laughs> As I always seem to do in this interview. I'm always storming gigs. And I said, personally, it's just bad for my mental health if I'm talking about this issue. So what I immediately did is just um, dealt with what was going on. I forgave, you know, I forgave that situation. Yeah. And forgiveness... I'm not a Christian man, but forgiveness is very powerful. It rids you of any negativity. Yeah. And then I turn that into observational, which is a very positive, uplifting show. And so for the last two years, I've all been about creating things that are uplifting. There's lots of dark subject matter in there, but ultimately I want to produce a show that is A, funny, but more so Uplifting, you know that, yeah, that's what yeah, people yeah. said about um, observational. And then having the kind of magical things that have happened. The pandemic, the pandemic has obviously been awful, um, but one or two things have happened out of it. Personally, for me, you know, as you say, the only person in Edinburgh, the yeah. you know, the first show out of lockdown. But it's more the connection that I've got with audiences through observational, sure. which means so much more than the awards and the nominations and the great reviews, yeah, even though yeah, I keep yeah. mentioning them. But <laughs> um, no, so the last two years, it's been a has been a highlight and then Bumblebee carries on carries on that story yeah um, yeah yeah so personally and professionally I'm in a incredible place now like the best the best place of my career and life so it's yeah. That's you wonderful. can turn things around people that is wonderful <laughs> well I, that is so good um tell me more about your podcast uh psycho uh, psychomedy p-s-y-c-o-m-e-d-y psychomedy great name how did Thank it come you. about yes. <laughs> um, uh, and why that particular subject for a podcast? Well, yeah, I mean, it came about, you, you say it's a great name. It's often the name. I said the, I pitched the idea to a uh, podcast production company, Pod People Productions. And as soon as I said psychomedy, his eyes lit up and went, that's good. It, yeah, I don't care yeah. what it's about. That's good. Yeah. Um, it's a deal, you know. So, yes, um, 
I did psychology at university, never really used it uh, right. since. I worked in a bank and never really used my degree. I did really love my degree, although I was winging it to a certain extent and just going around doing theatre all the time. But I loved my degree, loved comedy, so it was, a, it was a natural fit to talk to comedians about the psychology of comedy. And um, and yeah, it's been it's been incredible. Some really, we set it up so we're not looking at each other like some psychoanalysis um, sessions. And people in those situations, they'll just sit back, lie back sometimes with their eyes closed, and they'll be so open. You know, some yeah, of these yeah, discussions yeah. have been. I get to the end of them, and I'm like, oh my god, you know. Um, but I did it. I did it um, online as well during the pandemic. I did a kind of daily show called The Daily Dose. So I talked yeah. to comedians all the way around the world, and even though we were looking at each other sometimes on the Zoom. The Zoom gave us a bit of distance, um, so people would really open up. Right. You know, I had, I had, I mean, so many amazing ones, but, you know, like Brendan Burns, you, you've got to listen to that episode. It's like an hour and a half. Like, I oh my God, to dude. That. I was just you know? going to mention him. It was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's extraordinary, and, you know, and, you know, uh, subject that's very close to my heart, you know, certain things that I've been through in my life, yeah. and just like, and things that people all mentioned, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of all the examples now, but yeah, please listen to, to Psychomedy. I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And uh, a lot of people have, you know, been really thankful afterwards and went, you know, thanks, Nathan. I mean, some of them haven't, yeah. but <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I revealed think. too much. But no, I mean, no, they, they've, they've all kind of said... I talked about stuff there that I didn't know I was going to talk about, so yeah. thank you, and they, they feel better afterwards, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think as well, um, uh, presenting it, um, so, so, so if you're the interviewer or the, or the, or the, or the person who's, who's controlling the podcast, I think it must be exhausting for you as well, asking the questions and trying to get, because you're using your psychology degree, and it, and it must be... Um, you must be trying to not probe, but 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 trying to get the best out of the answers that you're asking for the comedians, and 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 that can be quite tiring. Yes, I mean it's it's mentally tiring, but again, preparation. I do a lot yeah. of preparation for each interview, so I do hours of preparation which I won't use, and that that puts you in a good place. Yeah. And then it's just all about listening. Yeah. Because, you know, like the Brendan Burns interview, I thought we were just going to have a fun discussion about Australia. Exactly. And then it turns yeah. into something else. Yeah. And you just then have to call on your degree, call on your life experience, and just listen and let them talk. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like in any good, you know, um, psychoanalysis or any good therapy session, it's not it's not being told, oh, I'm, I'm now going to tell you what to do, I'm now going to cure you. It's listening, and out of that listening will come the answers, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So it's um, yeah, I miss it. We're we're in between series at the moment. Um, you well, know, I, would, I would love to be a subject, as you say. That would be well. Wonderful. We'll get season three just for you, Richard. Just for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, how have you found online gigs as opposed to live gigs? Have you done many online gigs? Yes, I did a yeah. few. Yeah. I mean, I'd say I don't miss them. No. Certainly. Um, yeah, and the first gig that I did it kind of it made me feel almost like uh, you know I did it my first gig you know a bit weird a bit empty a bit do I, do I know how to do this and then all comedians had to realise that was our first gig again and it will get better and it immediately got better and you learn how to do it you know you weren't being I think there was a tendency for me to be too ah 
Yeah, you know, like, are you listening? You're making yourselves tea. And just like, if people are listening, they'll just listen. You know, yeah. be yourself. And, you know, but I saw some great online gigs, like Abandonman had it, like, oh, nailed so down yeah. um, with all the backdrops and stuff yeah. he was doing. So there was, a, there was amazing things you could do online. So I started doing that as well. Yeah. But then I started doing corporate online gigs right. for, like, um, Christmas parties. Yeah. And they were paid nicely, but they made my soul die, Richard. So <laughs> they made me wish for my days in the bank. So I'm glad those are over. And, but I needed the money because um, the government weren't supporting no, me. Exactly. So That's um, a disgrace. I'm happy to be back to yeah. work now properly. Yeah. Well, it's great. And I mean, I'm I'm exactly the same with your argument. I think I think I I I went to a lot of online gigs, but um, when when they first started. Um, there, there was no audio at all, and yeah. um, uh, um, when I uh, w when I would tune in, um, you could hear the comedy, but um, of course they couldn't hear the audience laugh. So I, I was sitting here <laughs> yeah. laughing at four yeah. walls, and with my loud laugh, I thought I was going to be taken away. Oh God! But, I'm getting um, flashbacks. I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> that first gig. I was like talking like this. I was like, nobody's laughing because I can't hear anyone. Do you love me? I'm rubbish. Yeah, um, yeah horrendous. But, uh, but, but yeah, as soon as people started laughing, yeah. it was like, yeah, they, they sorted it out. Yeah. They sorted but, it out. But, oh, but, but when they cracked it, 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 it they, they did really well. I, w I would go to uh, yeah. Sean, Sean James's Monday night uh, comedy. I'd go to Old Absolutely, Comedy yeah. Online, which has been really great. And yeah. I would go to Jarlath's Irishman abroad comedy night which was superb on a Friday night but I'm yeah. like you I really miss the live gigs and yeah. to, to go out on a on a weekend and with some friends and have dinner and then just just go to the comedy club sit down and just say right yeah. please entertain me because because yeah. you're in the moment you just don't know what's going to happen and that's yeah. the magic of it yeah yeah no, it's. Uh, I'm sure they'll come back to a certain extent around yeah. Christmas and Christmas parties, but I'm sure um, most comedians would say they don't miss them hugely. But um, yeah, yeah. But we'll be ready for the next time if they do. If heaven forbid, there's a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh wave coming. Good grief! Yeah, God forbid. Um, yeah. Who are your favourite comedians, past and present? Um. Well, I mean, many, many present comedians. Um, I mean, if I had to pick some, it would be Bill Burr, it would be Stuart Lee, it yeah. would be Kitson. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, in the past, I grew up in Birmingham with my mum playing Jasper Carrots and oh, Dave wow. Allen and, and Billy Connolly. So yeah. I guess they, they, were, they were the comedians I grew up with and... Um, I think there was a rumour Jasper Carrot was going to do some more stuff. Um, that, you know, he and that did, would be amazing. Did, I, I, I did, did try and get in touch with him for Psychomedy, but, yeah. um, you know, and obviously Billy Connolly is just, yeah. you know, um, you know, a, a hero and someone sure. that showed that you can just be funny from 20 to yeah. 100, you know, yeah, yeah, for yeah. your whole life. And, um, um, and that's all I want to do, kind of, you know, emulate someone like him or Bill Burr or these kind of people who are known. I mean, obviously, Billy's done acting and stuff, but yeah. these people who are known principally, Stuart Lee, they're stand-ups. They haven't done panel shows. They haven't yeah. really done anything else. Yeah. They're known for their stand-ups. So that's yeah. who I would aspire to. But then, of course, you know, in terms of present-day comedians, I have all my, you know, 
heroes um, on psychomedy as well. You know, all the people that I love from from the present day. You know, whether that's uh, you know all the way around the world. You know, people that some people might not have heard of. You know, yeah. we mentioned Brendan Burns, but you know, Erica Rhodes in America yeah. is great. We had Trevor Simon for the hundredth episode. Brilliant. You know, who's yeah. a comedy comedy hero from when our kids who are just the most lovely, yeah. funny yeah. Um, people. But so many others. I mean, Andrew Doyle, Scott Capuro, yeah. you know, Callie Beaton, all these people yeah, I've had yeah, on yeah. Psychomedy, Stephen Bailey, Nick yeah. Hell, you know, I could go on and on Fantastic. and on. Kim Noble, just like, um, um, it's, uh, there, there's so many. As you know, Richard, well, as I'm doing I know, so I, many I, I, interviews, I'm finally just... getting around to me. <laughs> I was just going <laughs> to say, uh, my first ever comedy gig was aged seven uh, on a family holiday in Scarborough. We went to see Les Dawson. And then, yeah. and then the following year we saw Tommy Cooper, and I just got the bug. And from then on, yeah. um, Billy Connolly, Jasper Carrot. I I used to buy all the vinyl records. Me and, too. I uh, had the had the tapes yeah, yeah, in yeah. the car. Or yeah. The, yeah, I saw him in Carlisle, and then I saw him again in London. Uh, and he was nearly seventy, and he was just extraordinary, Jasper Carrot again. Oh really? Yeah. I've never seen yeah. him live. Oh, and, he's um, brilliant. He, he, yeah, he, uh, and. What is great about him uh, is wherever he tours to, he has comedy about the city he's in. And, yeah. and a, a lot of the great ones do that. Victoria Wood was famous for doing that. I, I saw her yeah. many times. Oh, Victoria Wood, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, God, I, I was lucky yeah. enough to, to, to meet her. Oh, I'd, yeah. um, after sitting behind her in a theatre show, we went to see Romeo and Juliet. Wow. And it wasn't particularly good. <laughs> So we were we were laughing at how bad he was. He was a bit like Acorn Antiques. And so I went up to her later that year or the year after. I went, like, do you remember that show? And she said, of course. I was laughing like a drain at how bad he was. I was like, yeah, I was the guy behind you. Yeah. And we bonded over that. And thank, thank uh, goodness I got Fantastic. to meet her. Uh, another went, one of my heroes. Went, oh, used to watch Victoria Wood all the time as a kid, was, yeah. She was amazing. I, I went to see um, Acorn Antiques with a friend of mine and... and we were very lucky to get the front row and um, uh, 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 Victoria Wood was in it and wrote it of course but Julie Walters was Mrs Overall and she didn't right. appear until the second half and she walked on and sang a song about macaroons <laughs> and Ozzy Osbourne and I have never I it, yeah. laughed so much and I, I actually stopped yeah. the show and, and she, she leant over to me and she said you're really getting this aren't you sir <laughs> And I thought, oh, she's so she's so lovely. What a, <laughs> but what yeah, a loss, but what so a great um, what a great uh, career she's she's it left. All those such, memories, such a loss as well. What she could have done, Victoria would absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. she did so much. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. You know, just just following on from the question, um, like like me, do you go to a lot of comedy gigs as a member of the audience? Well, I don't go to as many as you, Richard, certainly. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have much time. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, I guess I guess, all the inclination, really, it's when I go to a comedy gig now, because I've been involved in so many, you do start to look at it from a technical yeah. perspective. Um, you know, I'll see Bill Burr when he's in town. I'd see, I used to go and see Billy Connolly and yeah. Chris Rock and the greats when they're in town. Yeah. Um, but that said, you know, uh, certainly Edinburgh affords the opportunity to, to see a lot more and I do try and enjoy things as much as, uh, as, mu as much as possible. So in the last week, I have seen two things. So it's rare for me to see 
two things in a week I mean I can't um, I haven't done that outside of Edinburgh so I saw Ricky Gervais I was lucky enough to sneak Brilliant. into Gervais um, yeah. at the forum doing his warm up gig so I yeah. love Gervais's story um, interesting to note like a bit of the backlash after that gig I don't know whether you noticed it but people were taking some of the jokes I'm like Jeez, guys, is this is this what comedy is? He came out and said women aren't funny. That was his opening bit, and it's like he's joking. Exactly, he's joking. That's he's a, joking. It's a joke. And that's that's the key with him. If you get it, it's wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then I saw um, Richard Hardesty, who's a newer comedian. Oh yeah, yeah. and um, really amazing show. I really recommend yeah. that to all your yeah. listeners to yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. hunt out Richard Hardesty. Yeah. He's going to be taking it to I have, I have heard around the him. world. Yeah. Yes, he's yeah. he's had a very complex psychology, and he yeah. takes you inside his brain in this show in a way that I've very comparable to Richard Gadd's show, Monkey See, Monkey yeah. Do. Really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason the reason I ask the questions is that there's a um, there's a section in my blog called the ones that got away, and I've written mm. about twenty five comedians who have either sadly passed on or I just haven't had a chance to see. And mm. top of the tree for me was of course Morecambe and Wise. I can mm. remember growing up, um, and everybody, everybody in the family loving them, whether they were five or eighty, you know. And, and yeah. I never. Oh, me got, too. Morecambe and Wise. There's another one I grew up with. Yeah, watching I, them. I, I never got chance to see them. I've seen everything else about them. I've I've mm. seen plays and read books and everything. I've got all my books behind me. They, they're the reason I do comedy. But also in there were people like Dave Allen, um, yeah. uh, Frankie Howard I'd love to have seen, Bob Monkhouse I would love to have seen. Okay. Um, but but I've, I've, I've never, unfortunately, yet seen Ross Noble. And I, oh, really? I, and I must make a point of going to it because I love comedians who just take a word and can yeah. fly with it. And he is a master of doing that. Um, early Ross, f- yeah. yeah, early Ross Noble was it was mind blowingly yeah. good. It was yeah. like it was those moments where you're like because I saw him just as I started, I think in '99 when I was trying to improvise, yeah. and that was like a give up moment. It's like you're not a hundredth as good as, as, as this guy, so yeah, why are yeah. you clogging up the circuit? Um, so um, yeah, but it, but so it makes yeah. but it makes you work more. It makes Absolutely, you work harder yeah. to get there. Uh, as yes, uh, yeah. as you've as you've said yeah. in the past. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you. You've been a fantastic guest. It's, Thank you it, so much. It's been so, so good. I could talk to you all now. Just before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Do you have any planned gigs or any tours coming up? Or where can people find you on social media, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, please hunt out my my latest shows. You know, um, so my latest show is Bumblebee. It's about uh, being burgled during the pandemic, and you can get everything on NathanCasty.com. Um, I wrote a book during lockdown, so do I have a copy here? Of course, I have a copy here. <laughs> it's called Boris. Jo- it's called Resurrection Post COVID Diaries by Boris Johnson. Available on Amazon, eight pounds ninety nine, and audiobook sixteen ninety nine, or free, as I'm finding out if you have a subscription, and that way I get no money <laughs> um, or very little money. So don't order it that way. Um, but yeah, audiobook, which by the way was a nightmare. Never record an audiobook. <laughs> It was an absolute nightmare. I'm never doing it again. Um, proud of the output, but believe me, you need to be paying sixty pounds for it uh, wow. for the for the effort I put into it. Um, so yes, please hunt me down at nathancasty.com and um, be lovely to see you. Well, I for one, I'm really looking forward to coming to see your new show. 
um, I, I, I'm coming to see it in about a, a month's time, I think it is, next month. Um, yeah. I'm going to be in the front of the queue. I think you're a major comic talent. You make me Thank laugh you. so much. And I wish you all the very best. Thank you so much for the interview today. Oh, thank you. And thank you for everything you do for comedy as well, Richard. It's so much appreciated. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. And all the best to you. All Thanks the best. now.